welcome to Dealing With Distance. This is a pod about normal people and how they're coping with these unbelievably bizarre times. Thank you so much for all the support that you've been giving us over social media and stuff. Please uh, keep it coming. Our email address is dealingwithdistance at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories. And if you know anybody who would like to uh, spend half an hour being interviewed and tell their story about how they're dealing with distance, then please do let us know. You can get all of the pods on uh, anchor.fm slash dealwithdistancepod. They should be now on Spotify, Google, uh, and uh, we've applied for iTunes. That normally takes a couple more days. Okay, so we've got a very special treat for you today. This... Guy was a, an old school friend of mine, in fact. Uh, we haven't been in direct contact for a while now, but when I uh, dropped him a line recently and asked him if he could help me out, he immediately agreed. And I'm absolutely delighted because you'll hear, not only does he have the silkiest voice on British radio, uh, he's just a thoroughly decent guy and he's got some really fascinating uh, insights, particularly into the world of media and how radio and broadcasting are contributing and dealing with and helping this whole situation. It was an absolute pleasure to make this. I was a little bit nervous uh, working with such a superstar, but he was an absolute gentleman and it was a pleasure. I think you're going to get something really special out of this. This is Dealing With Distance and this is Chris Warburton. So welcome, Chris Warburton. Thank you very much. It's nice to hear your voice. It is. It's been a while, but uh, but it's nice to be back in touch. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Are you telling your listeners that we went to school together, primary school, secondary it, school? It, it, it seems like you're doing it for us. So, I'm telling uh, you. I'm telling you. I'm telling the listener as well. <laughs> yeah, they were good times, man, but then you skittled off to Germany and now we never see you ever. My apologies for that. Uh, trust me, I, I had to go and see you about a girl, so it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, these things are always worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Chris and I uh, did indeed go to primary school and senior school. Uh, we grew up in the same area together. Um, we've been in touch sporadically over the over the last years, but as he says, because I moved to Germany, it's been harder to stay in touch with old school friends. But when I decided to get this pod off the ground, uh, I'll be honest, Chris, you were one of the... Uh, you know, one of the first uh, names that popped into my mind. I thought you might have some interesting insights for us, and uh, I wanted to ask you some questions. I'm really glad that you've agreed to get involved. I bet you say that to all the boys. <laughs> that's, that's that's very it's kind. Awesome. I was just reading off that script. It, it came across okay, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After rehearsal number five, exactly. Look, I, I, I think I've got to say hats off to you because you know everyone sort of scratching around if you, if you normally work outside of your home at the moment then obviously suddenly adapting to a different universe is, is pretty difficult and if you've got kids on the scene and all that kind of stuff and I think you know the fact that you've thought okay let's just start up a podcast is is mightily impressive even though I've been in broadcasting for more than 20 years I think that's good going I mean I'm in the middle of a third podcast at the moment and uh we're having to adapt a little bit as much as we can to the production of that, uh, which is causing some difficulties. And I think the whole thing will probably be delayed, if I'm honest with you. But look, I can tell you about that in a bit. I can certainly imagine. Thank you for that. That, that that's very that's very kind of you. Um, I, I'm I'm aware that this is not going to change the world, but I just wanted to make some kind of contribution, you know. And I wanted to have a reason to get up in the morning. I'm a freelancer, uh, and my uh, my calendar is literally empty. Um, so. Uh, I wanted to keep myself active and be creative and and make some kind of contribution. So so that's what I'm doing. So listen, you mentioned that you're in broadcasting. Tell us a little bit for those who don't uh, listen to your show. Shame on them, of course. But uh, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, please, Chris. 
So uh, I currently present the weekend breakfast program on BBC Radio 5 Live. 5 Live is the BBC's 24-hour news and sports network across the whole of the UK. So I do Saturday and Sunday mornings. I'm also a reporter for The One Show. I don't know if people are familiar with that. It's a kind of well, it's a hugely popular magazine program, which has been on BBC One for years on end, um, which starts at seven o'clock, goes on for half an hour. And they have about 6 million viewers a night, something like that. Um, I've also made a couple of podcasts in the last few years, which have done really well. Uh, we've had around three and a half million downloads for the first one I did, which was called Beyond Reasonable Doubt, which is a true crime podcast. If you've seen The Staircase on Netflix, it's basically the same story as that. And we interviewed all of the central characters in that. Um, and then a podcast I did about a year and a half or so ago was called End of Days, which was about the Waco cult, David Koresh cult, if you remember that, about 25 years ago in Texas. Um, and it was the story of what is a familiar story, but an unfamiliar aspect to it, which was about a third of the people who chose to follow David Koresh out to Texas were British. And we were telling the story of the British people involved. And that's done really well and we've won awards for both of those podcasts which I'm very very proud of and that's nice um, and I'm just currently working on another podcast which I'm not really giving details about at the moment uh, but it's to do with a kind of relatively recent part of modern British history and modern British culture uh, which again isn't touched upon massively, uh, but has got some very, very interesting and intriguing characters at the heart of it. And it's meant that I've ended up speaking to some of the scariest people I've spoken to in my life, but that's fine <laughs> in the last wow. few weeks. <laughs> well, I, I hope you don't class today's interview in that same category. I'll, uh, I'll try and go easy on you. No, that's it. <laughs> uh, but, no, you know, I've been, I've been very lucky. I, I worked in radio production for years before that as well, before I decided to get into presenting but you know I've covered the Olympic Games I've covered football World Cups I've done a couple of those uh, I've done uh, tragedies the terrorist attacks in Paris for example the Grenfell Tower disaster the American presidential elections you know lots of big events whether it's domestically or internationally and yeah you know I've been very proud and um lucky with the career that I've had and enjoyed and that I continue to enjoy today, you know. And I absolutely love listening to your stuff. Really, I've listened to both podcasts, for for example. Uh, my wife feels like she knows you, although you, the two of you have never met, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to meet her. Yeah, all right. We'll sort that out when all this debacle is out of the way. But listen, I think it's fair to say that you've been around the block, right? Your, your career has afforded you the opportunity to speak to some fascinating people, some scary people as well, by the sounds of it. But uh, you've you've covered some interesting things. You've been around the world. Uh, you you've been around the block. You quite literally are not allowed to leave the block at the moment, right? You're uh, you're broadcasting from home. Is that right? Yeah. The, this is the weird thing. So actually, sitting here doing this is in the same place that I've done my breakfast program from <laughs> for well, because I do the weekend breakfast program, and also I'm the kind of the main presenter for the other programs across the network you see so i guess if people start falling ill um or just aren't able to do it if they've got to go and look after family or whatever it might be uh, then i'm generally the first person they call to step in on another program so yeah but at the moment 
Uh, we we went into self isolation about a week ago, um, mainly because my oldest daughter, no, my youngest daughter got a temperature on uh, on one day, and then we kind of were like, okay, that's a bit. Uh, what are we going to do? And then the next day, my oldest daughter got a temperature as well. So obviously, we then had to go into self isolation, which in the UK means staying indoors essentially for fourteen days. You know, uh, I don't think I don't think either of them had coronavirus. Uh, I don't think my wife and I have got it, but you know, they do talk about it being particularly mild amongst children. So maybe, maybe that was it in their circumstances. It's really hard to know. Um, so yeah, it's been a case of adapting and I immediately obviously called my bosses at Five Live and they were very understanding and they understood the government guidelines. And of course, I guess the BBC obviously will see its places leading from the front in these kind of things, whether that's the behaviour on air or the behaviour off air of its employees and leading by example and uh, actually sort of relatively conveniently one of our senior figures at Five Live as well had basically had exactly the same situation with one of their younger children I think it was on the same day so they called me and said look totally get it know exactly where you're at we've got exactly the same thing we're going to be in here for 14 days as well with with my family Um, so yeah the network has had to adapt the whole of the BBC has massively had to adapt and um, I've got a very, very rudimentary setup here. You know, if you've gone onto social media uh, in the past couple of weeks, you'll have seen radio presenters from around the world. It's become a bit of a cliche, really, with their home setups. And some of them I look at and I think, well, that's mightily impressive. And some of them are with commercial stations with far smaller budgets than the BBC. And then I look at my setup. I'm on a rickety old table because we've only just moved into this house. And I was going to do it in one of our other rooms, which is, you know, kind of day room or dining room, whatever you want to call it. And um, that's got quite a big table on it, but it's quite an echoey room. And I thought, nah, that's no good for radio. So I've come into our living room and I can only have this tiny table in here with a tiny chair. And I've got a tiny mic stand <laughs> with a mic in it, but the mic doesn't even fit the mic stand fitting. And so I've had to wrap it in kitchen towel. Uh, in order to get that and then I've got that connected to my iPhone and then we use a package called Lucy Live um, which is essentially it's a fancy app really uh, which you know you use when you're on location when you're broadcasting Um, and I guess the location now happens to be my house and it basically triangulates all of the 4G offerings in your local area and boosts the signal and then adds it to your Wi-Fi as well. So you get a kind of super strength signal, which I then connect back to our studios at Media City, which are in Salford in Greater Manchester. And then they put me on air. And yeah, I did the breakfast program on Saturday and Sunday mornings with my co-presenter. She was in a studio in London because that's where she lives. Normally she travels up to our studios in Media City. So she was in London. I was sitting in my front room and we had a sport guy who actually was in the studio we're meant to be in in Media City. So we were, you know, extreme social distancing, I suppose, is how you might put it. Unbelievable. I've got to say, I, I was quite looking forward to uh, to our meeting today and thinking, oh, you know, get to touch base again with Chris and uh, get to speak to a real life celebrity and a guy who works in broadcasting. It's going to be really flash. It's going to be really exciting. And when you turn on the Skype video and I saw you sitting there with a bog roll wrapped around your microphone and... Uh, 
<laughs> it made my yeah. uh, this backroom production. Uh, uh, it brought it right back down to earth. I'm I'm happy that you you're, you're scraping around the barrel with the rest of us commoners. Here. But, the, but the, the good thing is though that I suppose Radio Five Live we've got a reputation I think for being very upfront and honest with our listeners, and we have a real kind of close collection connection with our listeners. And I think all of the presenters buy into quite a lot of transparency if you see what I mean and yeah. so we've I, after about being on air for about 20 minutes uh we had quite a lot of texts and what have you and tweets from people going oh Chris uh, what's your what's your kit you're using there and uh yeah, what's your setup what's your tech setup um I think they were probably expecting it to be quite uh fantasy but then um yeah, I revealed it all on air, you know, that that's what we do. And actually, I had loads of people who tuned in at different points of the day and, and it wasn't, you know, they, they couldn't believe that I wasn't in the studio. You know, the sound quality was that good. And actually, you know, that says a lot about where we are as an industry and where we are as a society, I guess, when it comes to technology, because I've been doing this since I was 21. I'm now 43. And... You know, I, I just remember the days of doing reel-to-reel editing, for example. That's what they had when I went to journalism school. Um, and I was a post-grad, you know. And, you know, it was all with the with the Stanley knife and the chalk and cutting the tape and then wow. taping it back up and all of that. And actually, I look back on that now and think, God, you know, it's, it's a different world, isn't it? It's an absolute different lifetime. But at the same time, those skills really stick with you when it comes to production because it teaches you real discipline when it comes to editing and stuff like that. And by the same token, um, I can imagine that uh, had this pandemic happened, let's say, as you were just graduating from university, the coverage would have been completely different, right? You talk about this transparency and you can sit on your sofa and we can have a laugh about it and you can post a photo on Twitter about it. But that's possible now. It just wasn't possible in the 90s or 80s or whatever. Uh, so I, I wonder what the coverage would have been like, you know? Well, I mean, it's a good question and who knows. But I guess one thing that we can probably conclude definitely would have happened is you would have had more people putting themselves at risk. You know, would would employers have been able to say, uh, well, don't worry, we'll just put on hardly any coverage at all? I don't know. You know, it, the chances are they probably would have said, well, we need to put on some kind of service for our viewers, for our listeners, because don't forget, television more so, I think, radio at times like this. Yes, it's a form of information and context and detail and facts and all the rest of it. But, you know, at times like this, we're really discovering from our listeners, and we know this anyway, but it's a guiding hand through all of this and it's a friendly voice and it's it's um, company, you know, to a lot of people, you know, particularly those people who are more vulnerable. So, you know, it's a massively important service, I think, that is being provided. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing compared to loads of people who are doing incredibly valuable emergency work in the NHS and all those kind of people. But, you know, a few rungs down the ladder, that kind of public service broadcasting at a moment like this is absolutely critical. So going back to what you were saying, they would have still wanted to have provided that service, right? That wouldn't have changed. And so therefore more people would have been going into work, more people would have been forced to go into work in a way that we just aren't now. You know, our employers have basically said, it's down to presenters now. You can choose whether you want to go into the studio. Although that was a few days ago and probably the advice has changed again now. It's probably more of a case of if you can do it from home, do it from home. Uh, most of us can, frankly. I hadn't really thought of um, radio and or television as that as having that kind of power, but you're right. It's not only that friendly voice in in the living room. It's not only that 
continuity, as you talk about, but it is it offers a genuine public service, you know, that we're able to have this wall to wall media coverage at the moment allows you guys to continue to tell us about how serious this shit is. Right. And so, um, you know, let's let's go back to this this parallel universe 20 years ago where we didn't have the media to cover it. You're right. People presumably would have uh, gone about their daily business far more easily and uh, you know, um, thought about their actions far less. So the constant reminders that we're getting from the media, they serve a, a, a health, a medical purpose, right? Yeah, I mean, I spoke to um, Duncan Bannantyne, you know, that guy from yeah, Dragon's yeah. Den, yeah, who owns a series of gyms. I spoke to him on Saturday morning on our programme because the government had just decided to close all of the gyms down, uh, along with restaurants and cafes and whatever, bars. And... Uh, I said, listen, were you were you listening to the Prime Minister's press conference yesterday when they announced it? And he said, he said, oh, of course I, of course I was. I thought it was the impression, but he basically said, he said, <laughs> it's a he good said, Scottish accent. <laughs> he said, I can I can see you working broadcasting. That's excellent. <laughs> he said, of course I was. He went, you know, everybody's dropping everything at five o'clock for those press conferences, aren't they? You know, but you're absolutely. I think I think you're right. I think you know, once upon a time, you would have had, you know a breakfast television news program wouldn't you you'd have had the one o'clock news you'd have had the six o'clock news and you'd have had the 10 o'clock news that's that's what the bbc would have provided yeah you wouldn't have had you wouldn't have had the the internet the kind of digital coverage and social media coverage which i know you criticized all sorts of misinformation all the rest of it but um you know you, you would have you'd have essentially had a newspaper telling you the latest that next morning and then maybe an update with an evening newspaper if you lived in a city you know the standard or what have you and uh, and that would have been pretty much it wouldn't it so you know sometimes we're accused of giving too much wall-to-wall coverage and i think in the early stages of this particular crisis um we did have quite a lot of listeners getting in touch saying you're overdoing it you're feeding this particularly around the panic buying and all of that kind of stuff that's a difficult debate to have, right? Because obviously now where we are, it doesn't feel like we overdid it at all. But that's always a debate, which is one that is hard to resolve under normal circumstances because we are just, okay, we're professional journalists, right? Uh, in this case, professional broadcast journalists. We have meetings, we discuss the editorial content of our programs and how much time we're going to give to each issue. And it's never a fact-based you know what I mean there's no right or wrong answer to any of these things no, everyone's no. bringing editorial judgment to those situations and and sometimes you get it right sometimes you get it wrong um my general feeling was well okay there's lots of definitions of what news might be how you might classify what news might be and I suppose that was probably day one of journalism school again but one thing that news definitely is is what people are talking about and everybody was talking about this, you know, and 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 everybody continues to talk about it. Now it's pretty pretty much on my radio station, give or take. It's uh, you know, there's the odd big story that's breaking, like when Alex Salmond was cleared in court the other day and such like. Um, give or take, it's pretty much blanket coverage of the coronavirus situation. But that's because it's so multi-leveled, it's so many different aspects of life that it's affecting you know and so many different people with so many different questions and we're fulfilling that purpose as well you know we're opening up our phone lines so often to people to give their questions to experts that we're putting in front of them to try and get 
answers for them at such a difficult time, you know? And actually, what else is there really to talk about at the moment? You know, no one's going anywhere. No one's doing anything. There's no sport. There's no gigs, you know, stuff that you... What, what, what conversations do you mostly have in life? Stuff that you've just done, stuff that you're about to do. You know, these are quite often the things, aren't they? <laughs> and, I, and I haven't just done anything and I'm not just about to do anything. So Exactly. You've got nowhere to go. So, you know, the main topic of conversation is this. And I suppose what you're watching on Netflix, which is the endless conversation that everyone still manages to have, right? I don't think you have to explain yourself whatsoever. I really don't. I mean, it, it is an essential service. It really is. And and in these days, weeks or months or however long it takes, I mean, I certainly won't be complaining for more information because at the end of the day, we can always switch it off and, and go and make a cup of tea. We don't have to, to have the media running. But going, going back to our parallel universe idea, if we were if we had been doing this pod, I don't know what kind of medium it would be on, but if we were doing this pod in 1988, um, I would have had a lot less data or information to, to even start with. You know, I couldn't ask my guests any questions because I wouldn't know what I know about it. And that's because of the media. Yeah. And I think even actually with the technology as well, you start thinking of where else that's applying at the moment. And it's just all over the place, isn't it? I mean, my wife is in the room next door to me as we speak, she's an assistant editor at Radio 5 Live. She's able to work from there on her laptop. You know, she's doing Zoom meetings and all the rest of it. You know, she's probably properly connected um, with what's going on. And then I suppose uh, I'm in a situation where I'm still able to do a few interviews for the podcast that I'm currently working on down the line, you know, never have been able to do that if we're talking about a time before the technology but you know even on sort of more frivolous things five live uh, one of my colleagues has got together and twisted my arm to host a quiz for staff remotely tomorrow you know people going on like google hangouts or whatever and yeah, uh, yeah. And, and doing that so that will hopefully be quite good fun and then we did, we did one of those with our family at the weekend my brother cheated it was a disgrace how did he cheat uh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that, that his wife had uh, her ipad open just googling the answers as they were coming along it's outrageous it's outrageous mm. who does that who does that yeah um, you know my brother you, you, you can you can yeah yeah i remember your brother i haven't seen him for a long time but uh yeah <laughs> um and you know even like down to sort of stuff with the kids isn't it you know i, I saw there's a well, uh, there was a, just to keep them occupied, you know, there was like a, a, a bunch of um, webcams on some of the animals in Edinburgh Zoo yesterday, live oh, wonderful. footage. So we were checking some of that out. Uh, and then you can do, we were doing a, um, a, a kind of virtual tour of the, what's it called? The Musée Orsay in Paris. And we were kind of going around there and, um, there's some streaming of a uh, production of Wind in the Willows that was on in the West End, which you can tap into uh, and watch that. So, you know, all these things beyond just doing all the creative stuff that you end up doing with the kids at times like this, you know, it just gives you different options, doesn't it, to kind of try and... Oh, and, you know, the, the, the Joe Wicks thing. I don't know if that's proving big in Germany, no, is it? No, help me with that. I haven't heard that. Go on. Okay, so Joe Wicks is this guy over here who's uh, who also goes by the name of the Body Coach. I interviewed him once. He's a nice guy. I mean, he's sort of had an unbelievable success. Oh, this is the 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 training thing. The the, the, the workouts. Yeah, the workouts. Yeah. So it's kind of live workouts on YouTube. He's doing them every morning at nine o'clock UK time, and. Uh, 
yeah, you, you know, you just go onto his feed on YouTube and there he is in a room. And I think on the Monday he had close to a million people. He's got close to a million people every day, like live. There'll be people who, you know, download it for later or, or watch it on YouTube later kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? And obviously he's doing shout outs and there's people in Brazil, there's people in New Zealand, there's people in New York, there's people all around the world. And I think my kids quite like the fact that they're engaged in a communal activity in that way, particularly when, you know, they're getting very little contact. I mean, that's another thing, actually. I mean, they're, they're having FaceTime contact with their friends. Again, back in the day, forget it. You know, that's it, isn't it? If we've been in the same situation, they would speak to them on the phone and that's about it. But they're Absolutely. able to actually sit and chat and whatever for as long as they want at the moment. As cliche as it sounds, uh, there are some positives coming out of this stuff, right? The, the, the last few examples that you've given are just... Uh, these are things that, although we had the technology six weeks ago, we won't. We weren't even using the technology for that. You know, you and I uh, haven't spoken uh, for how how many years it is. We've had Skype that time in in those times. You know, this is this is kind of as cliche and and sh- you know slimy as it sounds. This is kind of bringing people together in a not coming together and physically being yeah. in the same room kind of way. And, and and I suppose we have to try and draw the positives from that, right? But that, that and that, that's in a kind of just a, a casual sense, isn't it? You know, in a friendship sense and what have you. But, you know, I was speaking to a good friend of mine the other day who's um, pretty high up in an advertising company. And he, he was saying, we've got virtually everybody working from home at the moment. He goes, it's all kind of working fine you know <laughs> he was saying um yeah loads of people working from home in terms of the meetings they're having and the assignments they're being given and the contact with clients and all, i mean they've got clients all over the world anyway but he was just saying i can see this having massive implications for the way that companies want to work going forward um i don't know it's really hard to make a judgment and of course loads of companies are gonna really really struggle at the back end of this there's no doubt about that but others will look at it and think, well, what can we learn from this experience and how can we change our work practices, you know, in some cases forevermore. And if you're talking about the climate emergency and trying to adapt anyway, this, that's the kind of stuff that's been talked about and talked about and nothing's been acted upon for absolutely ages, isn't it? And now here we've been given a situation we've had no choice but to adapt. And all of a sudden, you know, my wife and I were still able to work sort of semi-efficiently from work and I haven't been in my car for over a week, you know, either, of our, you know, and, and that's a kind of quite nice place to be in respect it genuinely of seems to have been a, a environment. Yeah, maybe, you know, but who knows? <laughs> who knows, right? You get to the end of this and people might go, right, let's just get straight back to where we were. Or people might say, right, well, what, what can we take from that and turn it into a positive when, as I say, there's no doubt there's going to be a lot of a lot of negatives to be found at the end of all this, sadly. Uh, I think you're right, but 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 I love the examples that you've given, and 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 you're right. There, there have already, in a matter of days, been changes to the way that people interact, to the way that people work. Um, who knows? Uh, you know, you've probably got to be careful. You don't want to talk yourself out of a good uh, cushy number here. You know, you work <laughs> in Media City. If your bosses are listening to that and they're like, oh, actually, he, you know, we, he can make do with that microphone with the bog roll stuffed in it. So let's uh, let's just keep going like that. So don't talk yourself out of a good gig, mate. Mate, I'll be happy with that. If it means coming down and, and, and having a shower and then just getting into my living room in my uh, 
in my jogging bottoms and my slippers. I'll be happy with that forevermore. It, with that sentence, you've summed up that it turns out that you indeed haven't changed since we knew each other as kids. Warby, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I'm really grateful for your contribution today. It's been fascinating. Look after your family. Let us know on social media how you're getting on and when the self-isolation's finished. And thanks for all the brilliant, informative work that you do. No, nice one, man. Really nice to talk to you again. And hopefully one day you and I will go head-to-head on the football field again because... That would be a good thing to do, right? We had some tussles back in the day. One day. Cheers, Warby. All the best, mate. (laughs) Nice one, man. Dealing with Distance is produced by Matt Beadle with additional production from Mark Pavey. The amazing music is written by Richard Beadle. And the gorgeous design logo was from Watney Houston with additional design from Mark Pavey. And special thanks to Zencaster for letting us use their software for free during this period.